The PSAs you hear on Miller and Condon and iHeartMedia Des Moines are presented in part by Nick Mick. We take care of our own. Now, here's Miller and Condon. This is not who sang the song originally. This is not Africa. This is the Weezer version. The Weezer version. Yes. Not Toto. Toto, that's who sang it. Uh-huh. Yep, that's who sang it. You're right. Couldn't pull that one. That's who you're 100% right. Why did uh, why, why did this one uh, deserve a redux? So, apparently the story behind it is there was a young girl, her favorite song is this. Okay. And her favorite band was Weezer. So, on Twitter, you're kidding. Every single day for a year, yeah. She tweeted to the Weezer account, yeah. play a cover of Africa. And they finally did. And they finally did, That's and it became awesome. a hit. I think it was last summer. That's tremendous. All right, here's Governor Reynolds. Tell me off the air. Governor Reynolds with her, a weekly, our daily press conference. Update on the numbers. Today, we had 482 new positive cases for a total of 3,641 positive cases. 33% of today's positive cases are related to the surveillance testing that has been done at the uh, meat processing facilities. We had two new counties, Cherokee and Humboldt, for a total of 84 counties. We had 1,313 negative cases today for a total of 23,974 negative cases. We've tested 27,615 Iowans for a per capita test of one out of 113 Iowans. The State Hygienic Lab has 7,273 tests available. We've had 1,293 Iowans recovered for a recovery rate of 35%. We have had an additional four deaths, and all four are related to long-term care facility outbreaks for a total of 83 deaths in Iowa. 10% of all of our positive cases in Iowa have been still related to long-term care facility outbreaks, and 51% of all deaths in Iowa are among our residents of long-term care facilities. Across all of the RMCC regions yesterday, there were 214 COVID-19 patients hospitalized, 23 were admitted in the last 24 hours, 89 patients are being treated in ICUs, and 60 are on ventilators. Also in hospitals across the state, there are 4,200 inpatient beds, 553 ICU beds, and 696 ventilators available for patient care. As Iowa and the nation prepare to reopen, the ability to conduct large-scale assessments and testing is critical to understand how prevalent the disease is and how it's evolving. The amount of data available will help us start to control the virus while making evidence-based decisions about how, how to ease the restrictions that have impacted our daily lives and begin to open up our businesses in a safe and responsible manner. Iowa, like all states, has had limited testing supplies and resources over the course of the pandemic. While in recent weeks our supply has increased, it was still not at the level needed to further expand expand our testing criteria so that more Iowans who need a test get one. And as I've said from the start with the team, we need an all-hands-on-deck approach. Iowans have seen the value of what public-private partnerships can do when times call for creative solutions. A number of Iowa-based manufacturers stepped up to help us solve our PPP 
PPE shortage by reallocating their normal operations to produce gowns, masks, face shields for health care providers and other essential workers. At the same time, the state continued to pursue any and all sources to keep PPE flowing into our supply chain. So we've taken a similar approach in our pursuit for more testing. We've worked with our federal partners to secure additional resources at new as new testing technology became available, including Abbott rapid test and serology tests to detect, detect, detect COVID-19 antibodies. We also worked with local health care providers to assist them with securing tests to be able to conduct testing in their own facilities. But there continued to be a need for more diagnostic testing to identify as many positive cases as possible to help slow the rate of transmission. And that's why today I am really pleased to be launching Test Iowa. This is a public-private partnership between the state of Iowa, NOMI Health, and the Silicon Slopes Initiative. This will make available 540,000 COVID tests to increase the state's testing capacity by up to 3,000 3, additional tests per day, and that's in addition to what we are already doing. And it will also help us gather critical information from Iowans that will help our health officials better target and fight the virus. Iowa is only the second state in the nation to deploy this ambitious initiative, which includes an online health assessment to determine if individuals should be tested and drive-through testing locations where individuals are swabbed, samples are sent to a lab, and results are returned electronically within 48 to 72 hours. It is as e it's as easy as three simple steps. Step one, you go to testiowa.com to complete a brief assessment that captures helpful information about symptoms or underlying conditions uh, that you may have, as well as where you live and what your occupation is. So this type of information helps assess your eligibility for testing, and it will also help us identify potential hotspots across the state. Step two, get tested. If you currently have symptoms, have interacted with someone who has already tested positive, or have recently visited a place where COVID is more widespread. And step three, if you test positive, we'll do the contact tracing to, detem to determine who you've been in contact with so that we can identify other potential exposures and take steps to slow the spread. We're also working to connect individuals who tested positive, we can't do this right now, but we're working to accomplish this, um, to connect individuals who test positive for COVID-19 to healthcare providers through a telehealth visit to ensure that they get the treatment um, plan that's best for them. While the, while the assessment is an important part of the process to see if you're eligible to be tested, the information collected is critical to better understand, again, the virus activity across the state. So by taking the assessment and sharing the information, you can help us zero in on potential outbreaks and new clusters so that we can target our response and protect the health of others. Your information can also help us identify areas where minimal virus activity is occurring so that we can begin to safely reopen our state as soon as possible. The assessment, it was created in partnership with the Iowa Department of Public Health and is conducted using the highest levels of security and privacy protection available. Your information will be used only for the purpose of combating the virus until the pandemic subsides.
Once you complete the assessment, you'll receive a follow-up email with information appropriate for you. If you're eligible for testing, your email will prompt you to schedule a time at a testing location near you and will also provide a QR code that you'll need um, at the check-in. Iowa's first testing location will open Saturday at the Iowa Events Center North Parking Lot in, in uh, downtown Des Moines. And more testing sites uh, are planned for other areas of the state and could open as soon as next week. Uh, we also will be doing a site in Tama tomorrow at a long-term care facility, so that will actually be the first site, and we'll provide more details on that tomorrow. Um, as I mentioned, Iowa's the second state to launch this initiative. Utah was the first, and today we're fortunate to be joined by Utah. Utah business leaders who are part of a collaborative coalition known as Silicon Slopes. This group came together quickly to significantly increase COVID-19 testing capacity in their state, and now we are implementing it here. With us today, I have Mark Newman, founder and CEO of Nomi Health, Josh James, founder and CEO of Domo, Spencer Steed is the vice president with Qualtrics, and Dave Elkington of Silicon Slopes of the Silicon Slopes board. So so thank you all for being here with us today and for our exciting announcement. So Dave, I know Iowans want to hear more about our partnership and how this testing initiative is going in Utah and what we can expect here. Yeah, thank you, Governor, and, and thank you for the opportunity to partner and, and uh, deploy some of the, the things that have been working in Utah. So a little bit of background in terms of what the initiative was, because I think it'll be interesting for people to understand um, what the program was and, as we look into what it can do for um, the people here in, in Iowa. So this really came out of a partnership initially with the state of Utah. And there was um, about a, a dozen companies who came together and, and realized that um, we can't just rely on the government alone to be able to provide solutions. So we came together in a very tight partnership and we found access um, both domestically and internationally to protective equipment, so PPE. We found access to the entire tech uh, um, uh, test capability, and then we were able to get access to a uh, very innovative and a unique set of technology that's gonna facilitate um, uh, up to 3,000 daily tests, as you just mentioned. And just to give you a reference in Utah, this program has only been in place for uh, about two and a half weeks. And just yesterday, we were just shy of 3,000 tests. Um, and and the, the way the program will work is there the, it, it's a hub and spoke model where throughout the state of Iowa, tents will, will, will then uh, be set up and drive through capability to get access to testing will then become available. Um, and the way, and you'll see here in just a minute, the, it starts with the assessment, just as, as you mentioned, Governor. People will then first take the assessment, and the assessment's really determining three categories. Your symptoms, uh, if you've got any exposure to other people who have had um, uh, the COVID virus, and then third, have you traveled to any areas where that, that could be a hotspot. Based off of the results of that, you will then be prompted to, uh, to go to one of the testing centers. So it's, it, it goes through a scheduling process. Um, the way the deployment will work is initially the test will, well, first we need everybody in the state to take the assessment. You're going to hear more about why that's so important. Once the, um, the assessment, and, and we have a large uh, group that have taken the assessment, we'll know where to set up the tents and where, to, uh, where the hotspots potentially are. 
at that point, we will uh, begin first with first responders. So, so throughout the state, we want to make sure that we're taking care of the people who are taking care of us. So we'll first have uh, a phase where all first responders, all medical professionals will then will, will come in and get tested. Then it'll go through a progression of highly symptomatic to where eventually we want um, non-symptomatic people um, able to come in and, and be test, tested. And the objective here is to really get everybody back to work, back to the normal life, and really crush this, you know, this, the curve and really get all of us back to our normal life. And so that's what we're seeing. We're, we're again, a couple of weeks ahead in Utah, and, and we're beginning to see that. We've just announced um, here in Utah elective surgeries. So that's what we, we're looking forward to in Iowa, as more broad-scale testing is available through this program. Um, it creates confidence. We can begin to, to, to work together. So with that, I'm gonna hand over to, to Mark Newman, who um, is the, the CEO of Nomi Health. And this organization is the organization that's going to run operationally this whole program. Mark? Yeah, thank you. Uh, yes, and Governor Reynolds, we couldn't be more excited to partner with you in the great state of Iowa. Um, as, as Dave and, and others have mentioned already, uh, the, the key here uh, is an open source approach to healthcare. Um, you've seen what happens when we kind of go for other large proprietary machines or you name it. And what was successful for Utah was mobilizing the private sector and the supply chain behind it from non-obvious sources. Um, you know, everything in healthcare has changed over the last 60 days, uh, where they buy their products, what they're trying to do, how they're trying to do it. And we've all experienced that. Uh, traditionally in America, a single region might have been experiencing some sort of crisis and there could be reallocation of supplies. Uh, when every region was experiencing a crisis, uh, we all had to step up. So Utah was the test bed and we're incredibly excited to bring this across the nation. Uh, it's obviously been you know, reinforced many times of a hub and spoke model with 10 uh, and, and centralized assessment abilities. Um, to reiterate, our entire goal here is to rebuild the confidence of the communities to get back to work, get back to school and living life again. Uh, and our, our path and our belief is that that's through massively available abundant testing at little to no cost to any individual. That was the premise here in, in Utah. We're bringing that to Iowa. It has the hub and spoke model for collection and has the digital assessment piece. Another key component here is through the assessment, each individual can self-schedule their own time uh, to show up and when it works for them, because we want to be as flexible and nimble as possible for anyone's schedule. What all of this does from the assessment to the scheduling to the mobile tent preparation to the automation on the back, back end for running the test, collecting the samples, running the test, reporting results, is that drives the most efficient capacity utilization possible. That's incredibly key here. Uh, what we found was traditional tent models in states um, from health systems or you name it had anywhere between 100 or 150 people per day going through it. Um, we're able to support 500, 600 people per day per location. And much like airlines with seats with planes that take off, um, we need to make sure that every single day that, uh, that you know, there was tests available, tests were used. The only way we can get every state back to work and living life again is through mass utilization of all of this. So we're incredibly excited to support the initiative. Uh, we're incredibly excited to support the great state of Iowa. Thank you. I'll pass over to Josh James, who uh, was a, an instigator here on, on the data opportunity uh, to be building this all out. All right, great. Thank you so much, Mark, and, and uh, thank you, Governor Reynolds. Real, it's a real pleasure to be online with uh, everyone here in Iowa and, and, and talk about you know, how we can get back to work by really doing uh, exhaustive testing and assessment. 
um, and understanding where we're at and, and getting that information and that data. As I was talking with, with Governor Reynolds, that seemed to be a, a true pillar of the way that she manages is making sure that we make decisions based on information. And so it becomes very important to get that information in our, in our hands and across her broad leadership team. And so uh, with DOMO, what we do is, is we take information from across the state that the state has in its databases and makes that available uh, to the management, to the broad management team in real time. Uh, and allows that information to get out to the counties so that you know everyone on the front lines as well uh, are able to understand what's going on in the state and so that everyone can can be seen from the same sheet of paper and really truly understanding uh, the exact you know this exact moment what's going on in the state and so we're excited to be a part of that uh, at domo and uh, we're a public company um, and you know we've this is what we do for big organizations across the globe uh, and when we're not working with governments, uh, we're working with, you know, Fortune 100 companies. So uh, excited to have the opportunity to help out here. One of the things that I think is really interesting is obviously for this to work, uh, you have to get broad buy-in from the citizens of Iowa. And so uh, we need awareness. And uh, as I was talking with the governor, uh, we talked a little bit about, uh, you know, different ways to roll this, in, roll this out. And uh, the... The, the, the plan that works the best is to have the governor start it. So uh, she's going to, I know, uh, drop a video in, in social media that talks about um, crushing the curve, that talks about uh, really getting everyone to go to these assessments and take these assessments so we can just understand what's going on with, uh, with the citizens of Iowa. And um, the, the way that gets rolled out uh, is is uh, with with a viral campaign so fight the virus with a viral campaign and so you'll see that happen today and and you'll see the uh some of the more influential and and, and famous uh iowans who are who are excited to help out uh, across the entire state and so as they receive this video and uh, a friendly call out from the governor then they will pass that on to their uh their groups of followers and and I think we'll see a, a really cool viral campaign that really helps raise awareness uh, to take this assessment because, again, that's the first step is just take the assessment and it gives, it gives the state a, a really good idea uh, of where everyone's at. And again, that's only used for the state of Iowa's purposes um, and that information is, is the state of Iowa's to the extent that individuals share that. Um, and so we're excited to see that roll out. And the important thing is go to testiowa.com. Uh, that's the that's the website that's um, that's up and out there right now. And if you go to testiowa.com, you'll be able to see uh, the assessment and in very rapid form, um, be able to understand kind of where you're at and get these scheduled. And so I think uh, Spencer's on, and if Spencer is on, we'll have him jump in and uh, talk just a little bit about the assessment. I can't hear Spencer. I was on mute. I okay, apologize. there we go. <laughs> uh, thank you, Josh. Uh, uh, Governor Reynolds, appreciate your leadership and are grateful for the opportunity to be a part of the solution. Uh, what we have found is that speed and accuracy is everything right now. And as our challenges continue to change, our ability to adapt um, is critical. And so, uh, you know, Qualtrics is a global company. We work with over 11,000 customers, um, including 2,800 universities. So we've been working in the state of Iowa for for a long time, eight plus years, um, and excited to see that continue to expand. Uh, 
one of the important things is to be able to stay connected to citizens uh, through the entire process, right? Whether that's from the assessment to providing results, but also checking in uh, to see how they're doing um, and making sure that they're progressing. Um, as, as this uh, virus continues to change, um, results continue to change, it's critical that we have access at scale. Uh, and that's where the assessment starts by providing a, a human sensory network uh, to all of our citizens. Uh, so that we can uh, start reacting based on the results and hotspots that we see within the data. Uh, so, you know, again, we're really excited. Qualtrics is uh, more than happy to be a part of the solution, and we're we're grateful for the wonderful work that this team is doing to to help crush the curve, and and can't wait to see the, the results as we we implement. Thank you. Thank you, Spencer. And so, uh, look for the campaign today from the governor. I've already seen the video that she's made, and uh, uh, it's it, I think it's going to be. Uh, you know, in this kind of horrible time when we're all trying to do anything and everything we can to, to flatten the curve and get back to work. And, um, you know, one of the big things is, again, getting the word out there to go to testiowa.com. So I think uh, you're going to see Ashley Kutcher and Senator Ernst and Lieutenant Governor Craig, uh, Senator Grassley, uh, Sports Director Keith Murphy, and then also Pastor Mike Householder uh, and Carson King will be the folks that uh, are going to get tagged by Governor Reynolds. So we're excited to see who they respond with and see if we can spread this throughout the throughout the, the state of Iowa. And again, just really excited to be helping out uh, Domo and, and Qualtrics and, and Nomi. So look forward to working with all of you. And again, appreciate the leadership from, from Governor Reynolds. Thanks, Josh. I think actually uh, we have two already scheduled for Saturday. So even before we started, we got curious Iowans out there trying to figure out what's going on. So I want to say thanks to all of you for partnering with us on this important initiative. Uh, and the group is going to stay on, I think, if we have any, if you have any questions, uh, which you'll get an opportunity to have in just a moment. But first, I do want to encourage every Iowan to go to testiowa.com and take the assessment. And I want to especially urge those Iowans who work in the healthcare field and other essential services, especially our staff and our long-term care facilities and those who work in the food processing or other manufacturing facilities. Uh, this is an important step to protect your health, your family's health, and your fellow Iowans. The assessment takes only a minute, and if you're eligible, you could be tested as soon as Saturday, as I said, in Des Moines. More testing locations will be opening up soon, but we want to take this opportunity uh, to be available to as many Iowans as possible. So the more Iowans who take the assessment or are tested, the more uh, it will help us understand about the virus and the more we can do to mitigate and manage it so we can get life and our businesses back uh, to normal as soon as possible. So with that, we will open it up uh, to questions. People get out and take the assessment today. Um, how are they, you know, if they're not in Des Moines where a location is going to open up Saturday, are they just being told to wait until there's like an undetermined time when yeah. they will have a facility in their area, or how does that work? So actually what's great about it is we can schedule the test. And so as the tests come in, they'll start to look at the data and see where the majority of Iowans are at, and then we will be able to react to that. We will be able to set up in areas all across the state. As you heard, I can't remember which one was talking talking about this, but we're going to focus initially on our essential workforce, our healthcare workers, our first responders, our food supply chain, and some of our manufacturers. So we are encouraging uh, hospital staff and long-term care staff to get in there and to do the assessment and get tested, and then we're going to roll that out so that more Iowans will have the opportunity to take the test, and then we can continue to schedule based on the amount that's coming in. As you heard them say, we can do up to 3,000 
in a day, and that's on top of our other testing capacity. So Iowans still have the opportunity to, if they're not feeling well, to contact their clinicians, to go through an assessment with them, and to take, you know, to, to have access to testing capacity through that um, as well. But the more that we can get Iowans to go through the assessment process, it really will help us identify where the hot spots are, where we're starting to see a cluster, where we're seeing nothing happening so that we can talk about areas of the states that are ready to go and to open up and how we phase that in and what that looks like. So um, I think you heard them say Utah just yesterday hit 3,000 tests. So, you know, we know we're not going to be there tomorrow, but we have the capacity to ramp up to that as Iowans uh, become more familiar with it, go online, take the assessment, we'll gather the data and then figure out how we strategize uh, going forward with providing the testing. It also, and I'll talk about more about this tomorrow, but for instance, we're really concerned about our long-term care facilities, and so we're going to be going into Tama and setting up at a long-term care facility there where, again, we can have uh, kind of drive the other long-term care facility staff to where we're setting up the, the testing site so that they have the opportunity to get tested and we can start to identify, again, where the negatives, the positives. And, and then in addition to that, which I'm really excited about, too, is we're doing uh, the serology testing. So that's a really important component of this too. And I would, uh, the Department of Public Health and Dr. Badati and her team have been really instrumental in kind of doing um, testing both so that we can better understand um, the, the virus, how it impacts, identify maybe individuals that have had it and have recovered. And so that will also help us identify a potential workforce and get these workers back uh, into the job. And again, starting to open up Iowa in a very safe and responsible manner. Governor, you said that this could be upwards of 500,000 tests so uh, made available. So what is the new initiative bringing in terms of sheer numbers of tests right now? And then secondly, can you talk more about the assessment? They talked about looking at symptoms, exposure to the virus, and if you've traveled to a hotspot and it sounded like asymptomatic testing would be later on. So I'm kind of trying to understand how this is going to expand the criteria yeah. of what the state lab is already testing. Yeah. So what it does is uh, our partnership uh, with Test Iowa and uh, Nomi Health, it, it, we do have, we have 540,000 tests. That's part of what we've been able to secure. In addition to that, uh, they'll do the marketing, the website, the outreach, the data. So that's all included in the partnership that we have with them. Hey, if you guys need to add anything to what I'm saying, don't hesitate to step in because I don't want to misrepresent something. So I'm not sure how we're going to coordinate that, but does anybody want to talk about your end and what it all it's providing? Yeah, this is Mark Newman from Nomi Health. So uh, it's the 540,000 tests. Uh, if you do the math, it's around 3,000 tests per day for 180 days. So 90,000 tests per month. Um, and we are preloading the state as well to make sure that if there is an opportunity to do more, uh, that, there, that the testing kits are available. Um, and this is to be able to drive the kind of long-term long adoption of testing across, across the state of Iowa. So the tests are, like, you have the tests right yeah. now. That is what 
we have secured with them through the contract with them. Are you going to do asymptomatic testing? Well, so we are doing some of that with this with the surveillance surveillance testing that we're doing. Do you want to talk about that? Or do, so we're doing some of that, and this will be a part of it in the manner that we would be able to use this testing capability through some of our processing plants. Um, that's why we want them to go online and, and actually take the assessment, and that will help us identify some of those. Yeah, thank you for the question. I think um, just like all along, the way we've looked at the resources available and how to make best use of what we have, that's what we're going to continue to do. And so again, you know, I want to reiterate the department's commitment to stopping the spread of this virus and really taking care of our most vulnerable populations. And again, sharing information as we get it as quickly as we possibly can. And so having a tool like this helps us be flexible in understanding where the needs are in Iowa so that we can respond quickly and direct resources to those particular areas and we'll continue to adjust those things as we go along according to what the needs are here in Iowa. The test going through the state lab? Yeah, yes, yeah. So Mark said that there are opportunity to do more test kits. Is it your hope or expectation that the 540,000 once we go through those that that will be enough testing done to be able to make those big decisions that well, you're talking about? That is going to have a significant impact uh, on our ability to test those that need to be tested and to really understand uh, where the state is doing well, where some potential hotspots are at, where are we seeing some clustering. The other piece of this is it will allow us to see that early so that we can get in there with the Department of Public Health and start to do some of that contact tracing and some of the research that's a huge component of this as well. So if you talk to states all across the country, everybody is trying to figure out a way that we can responsibly and safely open back up our economies and get Iowans back to work. And so this is a significant piece of that, to be able to understand who's, you know, who's testing positive, who's testing negative, where the hot spots are at. It allows us to be more targeted in our response and areas that are doing well to open that up, but to still monitor it. People can go in and take multiple assessments. So even though you've taken I believe that's accurate, right? Even if they've taken it once, we want them going back in if they develop symptoms later on. So you have the uh, ability to go in multiple times and take tests based on kind of your symptoms and how you're feeling. And so, Thanks, it, yep. This is, this is Josh uh, from Domo. And one of the other things I wanted to say is, first of all, uh, you know, it's probably important to call out. There's not a lot of states are in this position. We, we talked to a lot of different states uh, and sell software uh, in a lot of different formats. And there's many, many states, you know, are struggling to get 400 tests, 800 tests, 1,200 tests a day. Uh, so getting this kind of through, but I think can really make a difference. And then the other component here is it's not just the test, it's the assessments that happen. Right. And being able to get information and, and, and as people come in, uh, understanding the symptoms and having that in a database that allows Iowa to, again, like you said, understand what those hotspots are is really important, but this definitely catapults Iowa into a into the upper echelon of, of states that are able to do assessments and tests across the population. All right, testiowa.com, testiowa.com for news. that website. It, uh, yeah, sounds potentially like yes. it, indeed. 
I, I absolutely is. All right, we will uh, get back to sports. We got to do this first, though. Trent and then Zuba Mahente from ESPN will join the program. KXNO and iHeart want to help you with your bills. Text the keyword cash to 200 200 right now. That's cash to 200 200. You'll get a confirmation text and info. Standard data and message rates apply in this nationwide contest. Uh, Zuba Mahente from ESPN. He joins us next. Miller and Condon till noon, Des Moines Sports Station, 1460 KXNO. Thank you for supporting Food Bank of Iowa. Ken Miller, Trent Condon, Miller and Condon on 1460 KXNO. And now on 106.3 FM. Condon, Des Moines Sports Station, 1460 KXNO, 106.3 FM. ESPN had a really good night Sunday night. ESPN's going to have a really good Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday this week. It's been content that certainly for us starving sports fans out there was terrific. Let's get our friend Zubin Mehente, sports anchor, sports center anchor, into the show. Uh, Zubin, Trent, and Ken, thanks for coming on. How are you? Good, guys. What's going on? Well, I watched uh, Last Dance again last night, Zubin, uh, parts one and two, just to see what I had missed. And I found a number of things, including um, there was a little tease with Kenny Mayne and Linda Cohn. Did you see this, Trent? Uh, during oh, no. It was, oh, I don't know what they called it. Uh, you know, from time to time, they would bring like a David Aldridge in. Oh, yeah, yeah. When they were in the middle of a commercial break, they would pop on for like a minute. And Kenny Mayne was, there was a Sports Center clip from the mid nineties, mm-hmm. I guess, and he was previewing what was uh, there. There right now, there's a film crew that's following around the nineteen ninety seven ninety eight Bulls team, and in twenty years or in two thousand twenty, they're going to bring this show to the television. And you're, in that time, you're going to miss the butt fumble. And there's, and I mean, obviously, it's it was a spoof. Zubin, uh, that's just one of the things I noticed that I did for the first time. I thought that was priceless. That was really well done. Kenny stole the show with that, and all you got to do for anybody out there just just uh, just literally Google Kenny Mayne. It pops right up. There's been so much reaction on it here. Saturday when I got to work, they sort of put it. We have a little internal site for all employees for you know the basics, human resources, health coverage, all the basic stuff you have to go to when you need to uh, you know get some personal information. And they basically just update things from the company. And when we went there on Saturday. It was the first thing on there. And it was just sort of like a YouTube clip. It had you hit the play button. And it had all the graphics from the 90s. Kenny had a lot more hair. Yep. The uh, the video and the graphics were, you know, the music, the sports center music that has been so iconic over the years was different back then. And it was just like an overlay. And Kenny had brilliantly sort of done it. They were able to match up the lips so it didn't look like a spaghetti western or a bad sort of movie, one of those sorts of things. And it was just absolutely phenomenal. So I would guarantee that anybody, I would actually guarantee that if you just saw it sight unseen, we're obviously talking about it here in hindsight, but if you saw it sight unseen, it did do a double take as to say, wait a minute, wait a minute, how could Kenny be so clairvoyant? Because the ad looked so good in terms of the way it was coming off of his lips. Obviously, after a, you know, a few seconds or so, you're like, okay, it's Kenny. There's got to be something bizarre going on here. But if you were to just watch it uninitiated like you were watching another commercial, 
you would do a head turn and wonder what in the world was going on. So <laughs> I would definitely encourage anybody, just literally just Google Kenny Maine, it'll pop right up. It's it's tremendous, Zubin. It really is. And, you know, I, I missed a couple of other nuggets, but look, the ratings were through the roof, and, and I get it. It's going to have to come with a little asterisk, right, because there wasn't a lot of competition. I wish it would have. I mean, obviously, no one wants to be going through this. I would have loved to see what kind of numbers it would have done had we been in normal circumstances. But, boy, Zubin, it is absolutely, it, it surpassed my expectations, and they were through the roof. Uh, they were. It was a 6.1 rating. So just to put contextually, the previous highest rated, this wasn't technically a 30 for 30, but in, for all intents and purposes, with the amount of research, work, uh, resources that went into it, some people will do that because, you know, it's sort of like a singular moment, whether it's a multi-part OJ series or a one-part Miami series or a one-part Bo Jackson series. The previous high for any of these 30 for 30s, realizing the previous one, was a standalone, was Bo Jackson. They got a, a 3.6 rating. So you're thinking, not quite double, but moving towards double the highest 30 for 30 there was. There's a couple of other things to keep in mind here. Uh, you know, obviously, ESPN's ratings are down quite a bit this month, not, you know, taking into account last Sunday and then this Thursday, Friday, Saturday. But the biggest driver for promotion is still the television. Obviously, this was going wild on Twitter for a few weeks and everybody on social media was talking about it. Sports talk radio stations are talking about it. Fans were talking about it, but the biggest driver to get people to watch anything still, even though we're kind of in the age of social media and streaming right now is still television. And with ESPN's ratings down significantly, you wonder how many people that don't maybe live on Twitter or use social media or aren't watching ESPN right now because there's no sports to be had. You wonder just how many people, as crazy as it sounds, because every sports fan, you feel like, who was not aware of this happening? You might be surprised <laughs> to realize just how many people maybe just watched television and weren't aware of it, or finally got aware of it on Monday when the you know stories and the reviews came out, and yeah. maybe they'll catch it again for part two. And the last thing I would say is, you know, when you put this up against live sports, any live sporting event that we do, for the most part, you know, 95% of events we put on, don't get a 6.1 rating. I mean, Monday Night Football is different. Huge college football games are different. The draft will be different. Um, but this is amazing because live sports, you know, for lack of a better word, you just really don't know what's going to happen. Uh, the title of this documentary, everybody kind of knows what happened, how it ended, who was involved. It's sort of like watching a movie where you already know the ending before you sit down to pop up the DVD and just watch it. And I think for live sports, the one advantage has always been no matter what happens, mm-hmm. no matter what the number is and the spread is, and you guys keep track of that, uh, you never know what's going to happen. This was one of those things to get a 6.1 where there was really no drama or suspense. The storytelling was immaculate and amazing, but for a lot of people, part of sports is you don't know what's going to happen factor. Here you clearly did, and it still got that sort of number. Lastly, Ken, I would tell you, Steve and I, Steve Levy and I were working Saturday night. And we were doing a quick preview, a trailer that's been online that people have seen. And they just popped up the 1998 Bulls roster. Um, Steve was just harkening back and then looking forward in his sort of on-camera lead into this trailer. And I had not seen the picture, and I'm sure you guys sight and seen. I hadn't seen the picture in 22 years. I had thought of Michael Jordan. I had thought of Scotty. Scotty works here now. I had thought of Phil Jackson. But you look up and you say to yourself, 22 years later, and we're just sitting there and we're going, Jordan, Rodman, Pippen, Jackson, Fox, Bushler, 
Kerr, Harris, Burrell, Harper. I mean, I had not seen the hmm. picture in forever, and every single guy, with maybe the exception of Scotty Burrell, we needed a little help, were able to pop right Luke Longley, Bill Reddington. Yeah. All these guys just came flooding back. If you showed me a picture of, like, the 2020 Lakers, I'm not sure I could do yeah. that. But I could do that for the 1998 goals who I haven't thought about collectively since this thing started. Uh, it's, a, it's an excellent point. Uh, so Trent Googled that he's found Kenny Maine. So let me it's try and, daily let me try and set this up because again, this is this is a picture. This is video of the set of Sports Center from sometime in the nineties. Linda Cohn's got the big hair that the women <laughs> did in the nineties. Uh, Kenny Maine's got a got a head of hair, and they you can see his mouth moving in the piece. But here's what he said. Let's get right to it. The Chicago Bulls have won their second three-peat. This is the kind of stuff that ESPN will eventually make a documentary about. They'll call it something like The Last Dance and make it a 10-part series and release it in the year 2020. It's going to be lit. You don't even know what that means yet. While I'm making predictions, jeans will get extra tight. There'll be a thing called a butt fumble. And this clip will be used to promote the documentary in a State Farm commercial. (laughs) It's just a hunch. (laughs) <laughs> it was really well done. Dynamite. Yeah, absolutely. Go ahead, Trent. Sorry. Oh, I absolutely love that. that. That was my first time seeing that, and that was great. Kenny Bain, he's just one of those people. Yep. Popular figure, goofy, you know, letting the personality fly a little bit. Zubin, I wanted to ask you, um, I was listening to Ryan Rossillo's podcast last week, longtime ESPN. He was on with Van Pelt for a number of years on ESPN Radio. He talked about yep. talking... A conversation with you. I think you were getting ready for either the NFL or NBA draft, and Rosillo said that, you know, he just kind of, you asked if you wanted to run a few things before you went live on the air. He said, sure, and he was kind of half-assing it, and he called him out, Zubin. Does that yeah, ring familiar? Again? Explain that to me again. I, I totally, I'm not with you there. What, explain that again. So he said you guys were going, getting ready to do a live hit before either an NBA or NFL draft. And right before it, you said, hey, do you want to run through things, kind of what you guys were going to talk about and do it before you went on? And he was just kind of mundane talking through his points, not the excitement he brought on camera. And you said to him, is that the energy you're bringing today? He said, no, I'll be all right once we flip by the camera. And he was. But do you see that a lot? I, I just found the story very interesting. And you deal with so many different people. You don't know you know, kind of what's going on with the guy across from you, the guy that you're working with as you go on the set every single day. So that was between me and him specifically? Yes. Or yep. him and somebody else specifically? No, it was it was you and him. Oh, wow. He actually said this last week on the podcast? Yeah, yeah. I think the biggest thing for me in our role uh, in those types of situations is, and he was probably doing something. Did you say it was NBA or NFL? It was one of those? Yeah, it was before a draft. I can't remember which one. Yeah, my guess is it's probably NBA just because he is pretty plugged in with the league. He knows a lot of general mm-hmm. managers. My biggest thing in those types of situations is, you know, I always say this when we bring in former athletes. And, and to this degree, I'll put Rosillo in this category just because I would look at him as an analyst. And one of the interesting things is, When you bring in somebody straight off the field from the NFL or the NBA, Major League Baseball, and we've brought in a lot of new people over the years, the biggest thing that they tell us is, remember, this person, let's just call it a man for these intensive purposes, just because we have worked in a lot of locker rooms. If you bring in a man who the majority of our analysts are, they have been like somebody like Ryan Howard, who is the NL MVP, or somebody like Hasselbeck that's played 
in a Super Bowl. When you bring these sort of guys in, the biggest thing you realize is for the entirety of their lives, they've been the alpha male. They've been in charge. It's been their way or the highway in a positive way, and they're running the ship. Suddenly, they walk out of their field or their court, and they roll in with us. And they don't know how to put the earpiece in. Does it go in the left ear? Does it go in the right ear? Should I put my tie on my lapel? Should I put it on my suit jacket? The tiniest little details they're not aware of because it's a totally different ballgame for them. And you sort of see for the first time they're kind of not in charge. They're kind of not the alpha male. And it's my job to basically say, listen, let's keep it to 30 seconds. Let's keep the energy up. I know we've done this five times before, but this is going to run in the morning. There's a totally group of people that haven't seen this before. Let's be fresh. Let's be original. If you have a great line, don't worry about recycling it. Just repeat it. You don't have to make the great point over and over. All these little things that they may not think about. But one thing you will learn when you deal with somebody like that from an analyst standpoint is they probably got to their point in the NFL or NBA or Major League Baseball, whatever heights they achieved, they got there because they are so into coaching. So when we do something and we're like, all right, now it's pretty good. It's his first day. It's his second week. We'll figure it out. The really, really good one will come up to you and say, wait, 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 wait. You can, I can obviously tell by your voice you thought that was passable, but not great. What do you want me to do to make it great? And that's what I kind of see. Number one, they're kind of an alpha male. Now they're not. So they're a bit of a subservient role. So it's a different spot for them. But the really, really good ones that realize they're not Tony Romo out of the gate, right? They're not just mm-hmm. massively great out of the gate. They want to know, tell me what I can do. No, I want to do this again. I know everybody's off the clock. I can leave. It's no big deal. Nobody's going to say anything. But for me to be great, I need to know every little detail. If, somebody, if I see a TV term that I'm just talking to the director about or somebody else about to set it up, and they've never heard the term, the really good ones will say, what does that mean? Because down the line, somebody's going to say it, and they're going to have to know what it is. So I would probably say something along those lines. They're finding themselves in a completely different atmosphere, but the really good ones slide back into playing mode or coaching mode where they just constantly want to know how they can improve. I'm going to go uh, text Priscilla afterwards and find out exactly <laughs> what was. I'll have further details for you next week. But he's doing really well out there in, uh, yeah. in Manhattan Beach, California, and he's uh, trying to become a TV writer uh, as well. So when eventually television comes back, he should be in good shape. Well, there's worse places to be than Manhattan sure Beach, too. California. Uh, Zubin, I'm, I'm sure you've seen uh, you know, a former colleague of yours and, of course, a former uh, sports at WHO, Chris Hassel spoof on the draft. On a scale of 1 to 10, being, 1 being, uh, we got this, 10 being, this is going to be a disaster. What, what was, Fast forward to Thursday night with the technology. I know that there was a dry run-through of the draft yesterday. Apparently, it did not go well. Um, can they fix it in time for, for Thursday, Zubin? How nervous are they? I don't think they're too nervous. I will say, you know, that was vintage half. Oh, it was great. When I worked with him at ESPN, we were more buttoned down. You know, it's just a little different operation. But he, that felt like WHO half, so like putting on the overall couture cornhole or whatever that guy's name was when he did Nebraska food. That felt like that. It just felt like different. And I know he was on your station last week. I think he spoke with Keith and Andy, and he kind of went behind the scenes of that commercial. So I think it's, uh, that's available, I guess, on, on your website. I, I heard it. It was pretty good. I would say that I think it's going to be like a two or a three, and here's why. Somebody told me this the other day. I didn't realize it. When you have the Grammy Awards, not something I watch. I'm a little bit. I couldn't recognize anybody performing. But, but they told me when the Grammys are on, 
they do a full week of rehearsal, a full week. Mm. So to bring together all these people from around the world, all these artists that are scoring for one Sunday night in Los Angeles, people don't see it because it's just not really for consumption. But they practice that for an entire week. So I think this is one of those things where you're going to expect some change, but you're in an unprecedented situation and you got plenty of time to work out the kicks. I also think the audience is going to be in a situation where they're not expecting perfection. Are there going to be some trolls on Twitter that obviously when something goes wrong or there's a glitch, they're going to run to post it? Sure. But I think most of us that have been on Zoom calls for most of America that is working from home and is experiencing some technical difficulties, I think they're going to give them some slack because they sort of realize what's going on there. It's just a bit of a grander scale and more people involved than maybe that you at your office. So I think it's going to be minimal because I think they're going to figure things out here over the next three or four days. I think people just assume and were quite surprised that they actually held the mock draft in terms of a rehearsal. I actually think it's a great idea, um, but it's one of those things where many, many big events that I know of uh, have a lot of behind the scenes, what they call dry runs. And I would imagine this is going to be the same thing. Um, predicting human behavior is a little easier than predicting technological behavior. Yeah. But I think this is going to be one of those things where if you give it to three or four days uh, in advance notice, they can work out some of those bugs. But I fully expect there to be something happening here or there over the course of time, especially since you're talking seven rounds. But on the other hand, Ken, as you pretty much know, I mean, I know you're a draft. Nick, you love the draft. Yep. But for most people, it's really a Thursday event, right? If they can get through Thursday, it might be okay. And the one last thing I would say, it's not like a huge thing because a point of comparison, but last Friday, the WNBA held a virtual draft on ESPN um, with the commissioner sitting at her place, Kathy Engelbert, like Roger Goodell will be sitting at his place in New York. Uh, I will tell you that at the WNBA draft, it definitely didn't seem like the uh, the draft picks and their families were social distancing. Everybody was sitting <laughs> next to each other on a couch. So I don't know if Dr. Fauci or Dr. Burke would be happy about that, but we did do it last Friday night with the WNBA and for all intents and purposes, it actually went really well. Zubin, uh, you went really well as always. We appreciate it. Last Dance is phenomenal. Can't wait for Sunday night. Looking forward to Thursday in a big way as well. And we will talk to you next Tuesday. Thank you, Zubin. Take care, guys. Thanks. Good to talk to you, Zubin Mahente from ESPN Sports Center. Good stuff there with Zubin. Yeah, that Kenny Main stuff. Mm-hmm. I'm glad I watched it again last night, parts one and two, because there were some things I missed. By the way, uh, I got a. Uh, Randy Peterson's got a great piece on Tim Floyd. Oh, really? Because the the Floyd Bulls oh, course, connection, yeah. um, it's it was it's really informative. I uh, encourage you to. I think it's also been posted at USA Today, but okay. it's at the register site, of course. But uh, yeah, PD caught up with uh, with Tim Floyd, and of course he's a uh, kind of on the periphery, but a mm-hmm. big part of the story, no doubt. And PD shed some light on you know the the Kraus Floyd flirtation. It went back 10 years before this thing started. I did not know these things. I didn't people, know it was that long. I, wow. I remember throughout the season, though, here, just the lead-up and the build-up. Back to the 80s, Trent, it started. That's wild. Yeah, back to the 80s. Really good piece. Uh, Randy Peterson, Des Moines Register, USA Today. You can read it at either one of those Gannett properties. Well, tomorrow, Cappy's going to be with us. Centurion Stone of Iowa makes that possible. We push back Scott Dockerman till tomorrow. Get the latest. You know, we're, uh, worse is a cinch, top 10, but it's Epinesa, Trent. All over even the place. in the 40s. Smoke screens? I, I, he didn't I run well. He I didn't run well, know. and he didn't get a chance to run, obviously, at the Iowa Pro Day mm-hmm. in front of all the scouts. Let's turn on the tape.
Just plug in the holiday bowl. Dude's a football player. Right. The guy's the guy that he's beating the embarrassing is a first or second round left tackle in the draft from USC. Anyways, all right, Murph and Andy are here at two, so that's tomorrow. Looking forward to tomorrow's show already. It's a fun one today. Restaurant Radio, thanks to NCMIC. If you want to be part of it, uh, you can join us on Thursday if you're a restaurant, restaurant manager, restaurant employee. NCMIC makes it possible. KenMillerShow.com, Trent Condon on Facebook. I'm Murph and Andy at two, the Fanatics at four. Morning Rush tomorrow at six. Thanks for being here.